Welcome back to the second part of our Pivot Me sales series for consultants, experts, speakers, SMEs, coaches that know their craft well, but do not like selling. I see you, I've heard you, I'm talking to you. If you love your work, but you do not love sales or worse, your sales are sucking, let's fix that today. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method, and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs, and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. As I mentioned in our last episode, for years I was in sales. I trained at some of the best organizations for sales and negotiations. I trained sales teams inside and outside sales for years, both national, international, everything from account managers to what's now called high ticket sales, we didn't call it back then, government sales, prime contractor sales, which means slow sales cycles, long sales cycles, $1,000 deals to $200 million deals, financial negotiations, real estate deals, sales, all of it I have done and taught the gamut. And the truth is, it's not rocket science, but it is something that so many people shy away from. And man, once you are really good at it, it gives you a massive competitive advantage. Now, a lot of a lot of experts, a lot of consultants, a lot of SMEs, coaches, they they don't want to sell. It doesn't feel right. Either it's a skill set they don't think they can master or some people actually have ethical qualms. I feel it feels manipulative. It feels, I don't know, sleazy. Well, I would say you're doing it wrong or you're doing it to the wrong people. Trying to sell someone something that they don't need, well, that can feel sleazy. But offering something, selling something that people really need that's going to improve their life or business, that's good. You should have a good feeling about that. So here is the secret to sales, okay? There's a lot of secrets to sales. Um, but here is here's like ground floor. The most important skill you have to manage first in sales is your mindset. You cannot tell yourself a garbage story about sales and then expect to be good at it. It doesn't work like that. It's like trying to row your boat, but you've got like a motor pulling you back every time. Like, ah, I don't know. I feel conflicted about this, but let me try to do it. No, no, no. It doesn't work well. If you are providing an ethical service for someone, not selling a BS product, but something that can actually help them, you owe it to them to make an offer. If you can solve someone's problem, then why wouldn't you? And it doesn't matter if that is that is more sales, if that's weight loss, if that's improving their marriage, it putting on a better roof on their house. It doesn't matter what it is. If you can solve a problem for someone, then you should do that. Why wouldn't you? Unless it's not about solving someone's problem. Unless your struggle is around, not sales, the exchange of money for solving someone's problem. Oh, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind doing this. I don't mind making the offer. It's the money part that I get uncomfortable with. If that's the case, it's the exchange of money for solving someone's problem that's the issue. 
that could be a money block. Now, that's not a direct sales issue. Your low sales would be the consequence of your money block. They are tied together, but they're approached a little bit different. So if if me saying that like, oh yeah, it's the money part, I'd recommend you go back and listen to some of our episodes where we talk about money blocks. But today we're gonna focus on the sales piece, but I, I really want you to pause. And if money seems to be the factor that makes it uncomfortable for you, you probably got a money block. Last week, we talked about the difference between sales and marketing. We covered basic sales. I said that if you were a chef and you have an amazing entree, it is key to make an offer for your amazing entree. Like put it in front of people. You have to tell people about it. You have to try to get them to actually purchase it. Otherwise, all your hard work, your sleepless nights don't matter crap if you do not make an offer. More importantly, make the offer of the entree in front of a hungry prospect. It doesn't matter how good the product is if nobody tries the product. So today we're talking about elevator pitches, avatars, and audiences. So this week we're, we're going deeper on the elevator pitch and we really want to expand on what an avatar is and who the audience for your business, for your product is. So we touched on this briefly last week. If you didn't catch the first in the series, the sales series, go back and listen to that, Sales 101. Um, But today we're going to expand on it and let's dig in to the elevator pitch. Hey, Pivoter, I see you taking notes. I see you applying things into your business and life. Great work. But what if you could do it on a Zoom call with me? Well, here is your invite. I am hosting a free live event on Zoom where I get to know you, your challenges, and help you work through them as we accelerate your growth together. This is a free virtual event, and I'd love for you to join. Hop over to pivot-me.com backslash event and save your spot now. We'll keep these small. They will fill up. I'd love for you to be there. Again, it's pivot-me.com backslash event. We'll also put the link in the show notes and I'll see you there. Now I'm going to give you an actual structure framework for writing out an elevator pitch because this always makes people more comfortable when I make it like an equation like, oh, you just have to fill in the blanks. But know that it is nuanced. Write the formal one and then practice saying it. But if it doesn't feel right, feel right to you, if the structure I gave you feels clunky, like not actually words you would say to another human being, then you need to adjust it. You can't get all awkward and sweaty before you deliver your elevator pitch to a prospect. You're going to seem inexperienced or maybe just creepy. Either way, no bueno. So you're going to write it out and then you're going to kind of massage it a little bit for what you would actually feel comfortable saying. Now, that doesn't mean downplay your skills, downplay what you do. When I say feel comfortable, I mean that the words sound like actual words you would say or words that your prospect will receive well. I don't mean totally downplay your expertise and services and oh, and discount yourself in the process because that's what's comfortable for my worthiness issue. No, 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 no. That was not what I meant. I meant the actual words sound like you. So now for years, I worked and advised companies that did a tremendous amount of conferences and trade shows. So I worked booths. I trained others to work booths. And in this environment of conferences, you got to get really good at elevator pitches. So if you've never rented a booth, let me walk you through that. So you had a trade show conference in your industry. 
you rent a booth. That can be anywhere from $1,000 to $100,000, just depending on the booth. And you're going to pick your booth. And ideally, it's going to be in this choice location where there is lots of foot traffic in the conference floor. So as you're standing at the booth, lots of your prospects are walking by. And there's a combination of marketing and sales that go into this to get people into your booth boy, could I tell you some booth stories. But the idea is that you're constantly talking to your prospects. You are selling, you are delivering your elevator pitch a hundred times a day. You're getting creative on how you get people in. You have to have it on lock. No hesitation. You have to be able to articulate this over and over again. It is a great way to get salespeople very comfortable with their elevator pitch. Now, here's an important part of your elevator pitch. Same as if you've ever done public speaking, here is the important thing to note. People do not have to believe what you say, but they do need to believe that you believe what you say. If I'm trying to say something and I'm tentative, you know, I can, I can, I can double your income if you work with me. You're going to have a hard time believing it because it doesn't sound like I even believe it. I'm trying to sell you and I'm tentative about it. But if you say it with conviction, if the words flow from your mouth naturally, then it's clear I believe them. Hey, if you work with me, I will double your income in under six months. That is a compelling offer. You might go, hmm, I don't know how she's going to double my income. I can't even see how that's physically possible right now, but her conviction is so strong when she made that statement, it might be strong enough to convince you to work with me. That's the difference in having a compelling offer and also one that I deliver with conviction. That doesn't mean you have to yell in their face. I realize I kind of yelled a little bit. I raised my voice. But you have to be convincing, not because you're trying to manipulate someone, but because they want to believe that you believe what you're saying. So we're going to have this clear elevator pitch. We're going to be comfortable saying it, especially at a trade show. At a trade show, there's lots of competition. You have to be ready for your prospect and you have to be convincing when you tell them your elevator pitch. Now, what do you actually say to the prospect that comes to your booth or a prospect that you meet at a business networking event, a mixer, a conference, wherever you're going to be talking to your prospects? Like what are the actual words you might say? So Let's actually walk through the framework. So uh, again, the idea is that if you're in an elevator, so you just have a, a minute or two where you're in an elevator or at a networking event, you've got to quickly convey what you say. So let me give you a framework that I use with my clients. So the first one is, um, I'll walk through it quick and then I'll, I'll expand on it. So the first one is who you are, right? So your elevator pitch when you're talking to a prospect should include who you are, what you do. Number three, who you do it for. Number four, why it matters. So if you don't have your elevator pitch dialed in, write these down and we're going to go over them. So let me say them again. So number one, who you are. So for example, I'm a business advisor. We are a roofing company. We are a boutique law practice. It can be an I statement. It can be a we statement, but that's who you are. Number two is what you do. I consult on best business practices. We construct roofs for residential homes, commercial buildings. I build widgets. We organize homes. Next is who you do it for. This piece is important because you're letting them know if, hey, is this me? Do they do this for someone like me? We work with small to mid-sized businesses. We work with businesses in the family entertainment industry. I work with podcasters that are on a global stage, mid mid-sized businesses needing software solutions, contribution-focused entrepreneurs that want to get more done in less time. Like the who you do it for is important and it shouldn't be for everybody. It should be for a specific somebody. Now, here's the last part of the elevator pitch. 
You got to be able to answer the so what, right? The why it matters. You should always know the so what, whether we're talking about pitching to a prospect, whether you're setting your own personal goals or business goals, you need to know why the hell it actually matters. Like don't just set something or say something without understanding why that matters. So that's the last piece, why it matters. So if I'm a roofing company that competes on price, I might say, so that homeowners don't overpay for the roofing services. If I'm a lawyer focused on contracts, it might be so that your contracts are airtight and you don't end up in a costly lawsuit. If I run a software company, I might say, so you get the right right fit, right size software for your organization's particular needs. Be able to answer why it actually matters so that they can get more money. Let me think about what what drives humans, right? More money, more time, more sex. It doesn't really matter what it is, but there's got to be a clear payoff for working with you. Do not expect your prospects to connect those dots. You need to connect it for them. Hopefully you've got a really good framework for your elevator pitch. Now, you can pause it right now and flesh it out. You can work on it afterwards, but practice it. Practice it in the mirror, in the shower, on your commute, and do not keep your practice elevator pitch to yourself. No, no, no. You need to say it in front of other humans. And when you do, it's not just for you to practice it. It's to make sure it makes sense. Like say it to someone and say, what do you think that means? Who do you think I help? Why would someone work with me? If the person you just told your elevator pitch to can't answer those questions, you got some work to do. It might You might need to ask them like, hey, how would you change this? Or what would I need to say for this to be more clear? Again, if you need to say your elevator pitch to someone and then explain it afterwards, it still needs some work. All right, that's elevator pitches. Hopefully we're feeling good about that. Now let's talk, let's switch gears a little bit. We're gonna talk to your ideal client. Who is your avatar? Now, there are lots of names for these. I'm going to use avatar, not the cool blue aliens, but this means your ideal client. We should have a very clear profile that you build of your ideal client. Now, notice I said the word ideal. I didn't say, who can you help? These are two very different people. Who you can help is a very large population. Lots of people need your product. Lots of people would benefit from your product, but that may not be the best person you are positioned to help, nor the people you most enjoy working with. This delineation is important. Now, why is it so important for you to understand your avatar? A lot of reasons. First, so you can recognize them. Otherwise, you will focus on who you can help because you're resourceful, that's going to be a lot of people. Without an avatar and focus, you're gonna end up working with lots of people that you may not want to work with. If I've got a very clear avatar, let's just use the the conference example. So if I am at a, a networking event or I have a booth at a conference, when I have a clear profile of who my ideal client is, I'm able to recognize them very quickly. Oh, this is my ideal client. This person is not my ideal client. This is key. You'd be amazed at how many business owners build entire businesses, an entire book of business off of clients they don't want to work with. They'll kind of get in this vein of like, well, I just started working with the, you know, family entertainment business, or I just started working with software companies. I don't love working with them, but it's just kind of, I fell into it and we've stuck with it. Especially if you're in a referral-based business, which many of us are, people refer people like them. 
businesses refer other businesses like them. So you've got to be real clear on who you want to work with to make sure that that's who you're filling your schedule with, the people that you can help, but also help you and make your day more enjoyable. So here's another reason why you need to know a clear profile of your avatar. So you can specifically talk to them. And when you can specifically talk to them, you can better convert them into sales. So let me give you a real life example. Let me let me work on this. Okay, so if I'm trying to sell a product to a salesperson, any salesperson, it doesn't matter the industry, whether it's high ticket, low ticket. So I'm, I'm going general here, right? So not, not an avatar. I just go, hmm, I have a product and any salesperson could buy this product. I would likely give it a generalized pitch, a generalized sort of sales pitch and offer. I might say something like, Um, if you work with me, I can increase your sales in 90 days. Cool, but not very impactful, not emotional. If that sales rep hears that and has a really long sales cycle, like they have a, they sell to the government, it's a 12 month sales cycle. They're going to go, well, nothing happens in 90 days. Anyhow, it doesn't move the needle pass. I don't get the sale. Now, let's just say I've done my avatar work and I know my avatar really well. I'm still selling to another salesperson, but I've gone deeper. Let's say I, um, let's say I sell into the pharmaceutical sales industry. So pharmaceutical sales rep, let's just say that's my avatar. I'm going to know their challenges, their pain points. I know how to speak to them, their desires, and yes, their fears. So here would be a better pitch to them. So you know, dear pharmaceutical sales rep, I'm, I'm standing there, I'm talking to them at a show, at a, at a conference. Look, I know with the layoffs in your industry, it can be a little scary. I know that though you were already performing well, you want to perform within the top 5% because top performers rarely get laid off. I know you want to protect against that and no, also make bigger commission checks while you're at it. Let's get you to the top 5% and put that concern at rest. When you work with me, I'm going to get you to the top 5% and I'm going to do it within six months. Probably I'd say three months because they have a pretty short, mm, based on scripts. Yeah, we could probably do it in a short amount of time. So what am I doing? I know the industry well. I know how long their sales cycle is. I know that layoffs are a a massive uh, issue in their industry. I know what their pain points are. I know that, hey, most pharmaceutical sales reps are good salespeople. So they're already doing pretty well, but now they want to get in the top 5%. Why? Because they're concerned about layoffs because that's common in the industry. That's the power of knowing your avatar. See how those two pitches are different? See how those, those two, one is far more compelling, far more powerful than the other. That's because I've gotten inside the head of my avatar. I know the conversation that's going on, like, well, I'm performing well, but is it well enough to make sure I don't get laid off? When you can understand those conversations in your avatar's head, when you know their pain points, their their true fears and concerns and desires, this is gold. The prospect I mentioned above, he's worried about layoffs. Of course he is. And here's the thing. If my product can help him avoid the layoff, I've got to compel him. I've got to speak his language because I can solve his problem. So let me ask you, how does your avatar speak? What words do they use? What concerns do they have? We're going to go over pain points more in a future series, but I want to make sure that you are talking in the way that they would describe their pain points. 
Now, in that example, I went from a generalized sales rep down to a pharmaceutical sales rep. I niched down is what it's called. Now, for some people who are new at this, they can get uncomfortable. But if I niche down too much, I'm going to exclude other prospects. I don't want to cut out potentially paying clients. There's a phrase I do like that says the riches are in the niches, unless you've got like a commodity-based business and then you're just at a race to the bottom. But if you're a pivot me listener, most likely you don't. Now, if you do, that, that's okay if it's working for you. Um, but this is for the consultants, the SMEs out there that are working on their sales piece and they they are able to set their pricing. They're able to pick the clients that they want to work with. Now, if you're here and you're thinking, Gosh, I, I feel like I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna be too specific on this. Like if I build a pro- profile, if I'm really clear on an avatar, I'm gonna cut some people out. There's some people that I've worked with in the past that don't fit into this. Okay, were they people that you would work with again? Because here's here's the rule with sales and marketing language. All right, so when we're talking about getting specific in our language and specific to their pain points and desires, here's here's the rule: if you speak to everyone then you speak effectively to no one. You should know about your avatar. You should know about their demographics, things like age, where they live, if they're married, single, kids, dogs, job, income, things like that. But you should also know about their psychographics, how they think, what do they want, what do they fear. I wish I wish we could go into this more in detail. We, we go over this in a training, but this piece is important. The more you can know about your avatar, the better you can talk to them. Now, again, the avatar is sort of your your primary audience. Some people, again, kind of use a little bit of different language, but, but this is the primary person you want to work with. Now, you'll probably have a secondary person. This may not be like your cream of the crop, most amazing client, but hey, I've picked up a lot of business and I don't mind this business. It's okay, but it may not be your primary. So I'd like you to organize who you do business in, sort of your avatar, your primary audience, and then you're going to have a secondary audience and you can kind of work through that. You might go, okay, these are people I've been on business with. I don't mind it. I could still do business with them, but they're not the number one person I'm chasing. Now there is a tertiary audience and these might be people that you've been referred a lot, but not necessarily ones you want to keep working with all of that much. Now, for some of you out there, especially consultants and people that are content creators, I'm going to say your tertiary audience are people that need your services but can't afford your services. So I, um, during our, our last um, live event, the Pivot Me Mastermind Academy, if you haven't attended, definitely, definitely join us. Um, they're probably, we probably had some ad in here about it, but um, go to pivot-me dot com backslash event. If you have not come, you should absolutely come. I will work through your specific issue and your business. But last, our last event we had, we're going to say, um, we're going to say Free Mary came. Free Mary. Free Mary was creating a massive amount of information. She was doing such a service for her tertiary audience. If you've got podcasts, I'm doing a podcast right now. I don't get paid to do this podcast. In fact, I pay every month lots of money to do this podcast. This might speak to my tertiary audience. You might be listening now and go, I can't can't afford a two-day event. I can't afford to see your keynote speech, but I really need this information. That's why I do this podcast. That serves a tertiary audience. If you do a YouTube channel and you're paying to do a YouTube channel, you can listen to YouTube content for free. That can serve your tertiary audience. There is nothing wrong with that. However, your business cannot be all about serving your tertiary audience. 
If everything you do is free, 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 I want to just serve, 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 you won't be able to pay your bills for long. That's just, just, and and many of us are guilty of that. We go, but they need our services. I have a, have a counselor that works a lot in marriages and she's like, so many marriages are in trouble. They need our services. Yes, but that is your tertiary audience. I want to make sure that you're also serving your primary audience, your avatar, that can actually afford your services. Otherwise, we're running a nonprofit business and we cannot do that for long. More on pricing in a future episode. But what I hope that you have done is you fleshed out a little bit of your avatar, started to paint a picture of who your ideal client is and started to become aware of, ooh, how much work am I doing? How much content am I producing that is going to a tertiary audience that will never exchange in commerce. Like you might say, well, in five years, they might be able to afford me. Maybe, maybe, but can your business survive that long without a substantial amount of paying clients? Be sure that the majority of your efforts in your business are tailored for your avatar, that you're talking to your primary audience. If everything in your messaging is free, 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 then you're talking to a tertiary audience that will not give you money. They may say, thank you so much. Thank you, Wikipedia, for giving me all this information. I'm gonna move on right now. I need you to stay in business because your work matters. You do solve a problem, but you have to solve it for people who can also pay you to solve it. And if the idea of getting paid to solve a problem makes you uncomfortable, you're gonna have to look into your money story and maybe some money blocks. All right, so let's recap on this one. So we talked about not giving away everything for free under the guise of, of I'm serving people, I'm serving people, but I can barely pay my bills. I get it, you have a big heart. I understand this. I struggle, I struggle with that too. I've had to cap how many clients I would take at certain rates because I'm just like, ah, oh, they, they really need what I've got. And it's hard when you know you can help them fix the problem that pains them so much. But if you do that too much, you will undermine your business and you won't be able to keep doing the work that that drives you forward. So I just want you to be aware of this and put caps on how much you talk to your primary audience, secondary audience, and tertiary audience. So for now, take what we discussed here and apply it to your business. Build out a clear map for your business. Even if you've been running it for 5, 10, 15 years, it doesn't matter. These are the foundations we scale off of. Here at Pivot Me and my consulting firm, Maven, we host two-day strategy sessions where we break this down for your business. We help you get some of these foundational pieces together or go back and review them and, and tighten them up more so that you can scale on a solid foundation. Yet there is so much more I, I wish we could do. There's so much more we go over in those events, but we're, we're gonna cover we're gonna cover as much as we can in the sales series that we've created. Before next week, do the work that we talked about just now and then join us next week as we cover part three in this sales series. Until then, make it a great day. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors, and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.